from spooky legends past, down through generations, to haunted locations that hold a ghostly past. Come one, come all, come blinders and seekers, hear the creepy side of Eva. Welcome to the creepy side of Nipa. I'm Dan Kozlowski. And I'm Nora Herchik. Joining us is Jim Wasaklo, Schuylkill County native and author of Appalachian, a fictional novel based around a real story of Matthias Schwambach, who is unofficially one of the first serial killers in America. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. This episode takes us to the Schuylkill County, Berks County line, Hawk Mountain specifically. We've said plenty of times on this show that somehow, someway, all roads lead back to northeastern and central Pennsylvania, and this story is no exception. I was president of the Deer Lake West Brunswick Fire Company. In our social hall, one of the bartenders there that uh, I was talking to one night, very intelligent fellow by the name of Eric Yucko, um, he brought it to my attention about it because he knew I was a big history buff of the area. And he asked me if I ever knew that this had happened. And I was like, no, I, I never heard of it. And uh, I really got intrigued by the story. Um, be it so local, Family Farm is not even uh, about two miles from the location. And uh, I decided to dig into it and do a little uh, look into the history. And it starts way back when Jacob Gerhardt on the Albany side into Berks County there, just across the border. His family in the valley uh, during the French Indian War, it was the summer of 1752. The Delaware Indians allied with the French and they came down and they're raiding uh, homesteads all along in the Blue Mountain there. And they slaughtered uh, Jacob's uh, entire family. He was a young boy hit, hit under a bed as they burnt down the, his uh, house around him. He escaped to a neighboring farm that was forded up after that had happened, the, of course, the, all the property went to this surviving heir, him, and uh, he went up on top of that mountain and uh, built on Hawk Mountain, built that tavern in 1789 and uh, kind of lived by himself there, stuck to himself because everybody uh, kind of figured he was not right after what happened to him as a young child. So it went to another couple, the owners. After that, in 1850, Matthias and Margaret Schambach bought that tavern, and uh, that's when um, the murder started happening at the tavern. Matthias methodically chose his victims from people he encountered at the tavern. He was, was smart enough to prey only on people that would not be missed. You know, they, they come, they, they travel through, and where did this person go? We don't know. He's probably out west or up in the mines and he knew better to uh like pick on or pick victims that were well known in the area so nobody missed him and back then in those times nobody came looking for him either as he kept on getting away with it it became common to him as well i i i did this for so many years um and have been caught and i can you know it became more of a perfection, a passion. Since no one was looking for his victims, Matthias was able to get away with the killings for a long time, but not without raising some eyebrows. Matthias wasn't necessarily known as an even-tempered man. Matthias, again, was he started suffering from a dementia. He would, like, people that would pass by and give him a glare or not sit right with him, he would just blow off on him and start yelling at him, uh, mind your own business, uh, yell at him and things like that. They just thought he was a little crazy and off. 
people did stay at the tavern that didn't know him and uh, those are the ones he became his victims people that did go there did associate with him noticed strange things going on like it was written in one of the books that a local person was going over the top of the mountain and they heard someone crying from cellar part of the tavern or the barn it was documented that there was a couple that went there and they wanted to store their horses for the night but they know uh, when they opened up the barn there was blood everywhere so they assumed that maybe Matthias uh, killed a deer or something like that the horses were all uh, jumpy about it so they just left it like any small town, rumors about Matthias, the tavern, and people disappearing over the mountains started to spread, and for good reason. And uh, people have said something about when they would go there to visit, the meat just didn't taste like pork, you know, quite just right. So um, <clears throat> rumors started to spread. People would go up over the mountain, and they wouldn't see him again. Plus... There was one individual, a peddler from Reading, Pennsylvania, that was selling Civil War surplus. And when uh, in Reading, and when he went up over the mountain, stayed at the tavern, no one saw the guy again. But Matthias was down in Reading selling the same items a week later. So people were, um, I'm sure his excuse was is that he, peddler paid him as in payment these items. People started the rumors that way. These murders weren't the only crimes going on in the area at the time. Law enforcement already had their hands full with the Molly Maguires. He almost got caught in that because uh, people went to authorities about it. The authorities did go up there, look, at, they didn't find any evidence or anything like that. The authorities and the bounty hunters or uh, law for hire, let's say, was busy controlling the railroads, the Reading Railroad, and what was left of the canals because they were being uh, taken out by the Reading Railroad. The railroad came, became more efficient and the canal systems were uh, being phased out. Um, so they were busy trying to, to control the reach of the Molly's choirs into the railroad at the time. And they didn't have time for certain things. They were stretched in as it was to look into and investigate such things as possible rumors or things like that. So a lot of the land in the area at that time was left lawless because the Molly McGuire's had such a a hold on that school county at the time. With all this going on, and the rumor started, they didn't really have no evidence when they went up there and, and uh, found they found nothing. And that's because uh, Matthias was smart enough to put the skulls down the wells. And he would, uh, well, dismember the bodies and spread them throughout the mountain area. And back then people would you know, people would walk along and you would see bones and you'll think, oh, a deer died here. And a lot of people weren't educated enough to know those were human bones, but they would be educated enough to know that a skull is definitely from a human and someone died there. With so much drawing attention away from what Matthias may or may have not been doing, Matthias never truly got caught for his gruesome crimes. When he confessed to the murders on his deathbed, he confessed to 11, it was the documentation that I researched said to 11 to 14 people. He confessed that he threw them in the well. Well, they didn't believe him because he was dying of dementia. Um, so um, it was a reverend and a doctor that were up there and they kind of, uh, well, we're going to sell this property and it's going to be water on the bridge and the rumors will die with it. 
It was kind of like sweeping it under the rug again, even though they had a confession. Or so they thought. When William and Ann Turner bought the tavern in uh, 1889, I believe it was, they uh, found that the wells were full of human bones, more than, than 11 to 14 people. And some of them were butchered, some of them were cooked, and that kind of gave uh, a little bit more um, firm determination that it's very possible that he did uh, do some cannibalism up there, as rumored. Problem was, is that when he was buried, uh, lightning struck so close to where they were burying him during the funeral that the pallbearers dropped his coffin. He was actually buried upside down. Matthias never mentioned having any help with the murders, but could he have had an accomplice? Could someone else have been involved? Margaret Schambach stated that when Matthias died, she had no knowledge of any of this, but I find that hard to believe. I think she knew what was going on, and there was a reason why she had to keep her mouth shut, and uh, I have that written into the story on why. I had to change a few things in the book at the ending there to protect the sanctuary of Hawk Mountain, because they don't want no one trespassing there. It's a private residence now. She actually settled in uh, Leesport after Matthias's death, but I have it written in the book that she went down with a, a son I made up for the story down in D.C. That might be the end of Matthias's true story, but Jim did have to use his imagination to flesh out some of the gory details for his novel. There's no documentations on how any of the murders were committed. But he was very intelligent, uh, even though he had some issues with dementia, and that's what he died from. How did you come up with those gruesome details for <laughs> your book? <laughs> yeah, I know. I get asked that a lot by my friends. But uh, um, I, I'm a big Stephen King fan, and and uh, I, I like to... I have a second book coming out called um, Exhumed that should be out shortly. But, uh, you know, I kind of like... Uh, let my mind go wild with uh, some of the scenarios, but I like them to be realistic. Like, for example, the uh, mushrooms, the chapter called Mushrooms. I mean, um, it was passed down by my family, you know, my father and my grandfather, of what wild mushrooms are you can eat and what you cannot because they will kill you, like death caps, shut down your liver and kidneys. So you got to know what you're doing when you're picking mushrooms in the forest of this part of Pennsylvania. Matthias uses that as uh, a means of murdering one of his victims. And uh, in in those chapters, some of the murders I wrote that you're kind of rooting for Matthias, and some of them you're like, oh, you're just so bad. But yeah, it was fun. That was actually kind of fun to think about how to do all that. Even though you are a Stephen King fan and stuff like that, did it startle you at all that you could come up with these, you know, gruesome details? Uh, no, no, uh, no, it didn't startle me at all. I, it was just, uh, you know, if you think about a lot of the ways some of the murders are, um, happened, is, uh, some of it has happened in the past. And I mean, for example, in the first chapter with the gold teeth, how he removes the gold teeth from that one guy because he thinks that he has something of value. Um, that actually happened in history over in the Pacific during World War II. Some of the soldiers, uh, some of the Marines, um, would remove the would remove gold teeth from some of, of the enemy, the Japanese, because they thought they could bring it home and get some money for it. 
that, that, that actually happened in history. So uh, um, those are the kind of things uh, I used in the book, uh, you know, for coming from other parts of history. Do you think he had that many different ways? Or you think he sort of stuck to one or two? Um, I, I know I have uh, him using the axe a lot in there, but I, he had to use mo- all kinds of methods of opportunity as they presented him, presented to him. So that's why I made up so, uh, so many different ways that he did murder the individuals. But there are all ways that could be done in the woods up in the mountains, and they're not that far off at all. Oh, there's no way that could happen. It's funny. Uh, my wife, she... Uh, she reads the books for me before I go as far as to get taken into the editor. And this one, she said, oh, I don't think I could sleep with you for three nights after reading uh, Appalachian. <laughs> and then uh, then when I'm uh, uh, reading on Exhumed, I was at work and she goes, I'm glad you're at work tonight because uh, I, after reading this, I'm like, Ooh. You can purchase Jim's book, Appalachian, Schombach's Tavern, at any bookstore or online from Amazon. Be sure to check it out and leave a review. Also, keep an eye out for his second novel, Unexhumed, coming out soon. And while you're in the giving mood, don't forget to like or follow our podcast wherever you may be listening. And follow us on Facebook to keep up with new episodes. The property we spoke about in tonight's episode is still standing more than 200 years later. It is added to the U.S. Registry of Historic Places in 1979. We would like to remind you today it is part of the Hawk Mountain Sanctuary and serves as a private residence. No trespassing. Until next time, enjoy The Creepy Side of Nipa. This has been The Creepy Side of Nipa. If you have a spooky story that took place in northeastern or central Pennsylvania, Send it to ghost at WNEP.com for your chance to share it on an upcoming episode. We're dying to hear from you. <laughs>